Been a good day already, yes? Amen. Good, good, good. I wonder if you, like me, sometimes wonder if you measure up. Y'all ever have those, those feelings, those moments? You know, every day, yeah. You know, as, as, as a believer, as somebody who has committed to follow Christ, there are those times when I feel so unworthy, when I feel so disconnected from Him. And being a, a person who spends a, a lot of time in the Word, both at my job at the school and here, um, you know, sometimes I, I read the Scriptures and Sometimes that makes me feel almost worse, to be honest. Because I, I see those people that are in the scriptures and man, they're doing amazing things. And they're they're making firm commitments and they're standing up in the midst of persecution and hardship, real persecution and hardship, not the stuff that we sometimes throw out as I'm being persecuted because somebody looked at us cross eyed. Real persecution, real hardship. And they're standing strong and they're standing in their faith. This morning in Sunday school we're we're going through the book of Acts, and uh, we encountered the, uh, the apostles there in Acts chapter 5 being arrested for their faith, and the Sanhedrin telling them, don't preach in the name anymore. And they put them in jail, and the text says that an angel came and released them in the very next morning. Where are they? They're back out preaching. Such clarity, such conviction. So different so often than who I am. But there is one passage of Scripture, and I don't know if this is really a good thing or not. There is one passage of Scripture where I kind of feel like, okay, I might fit in with that group. And that's the book of 1 Corinthians. We're, going to, we're, we're starting a series today. We're going to move through the book of 1 Corinthians, looking at its content, looking at what we encounter there. And, and what 1 Corinthians is, is it, it's, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Okay. It's a church that, that he had been a part of the founding, and uh, he had spent a year and a half with them, just ministering and serving and, and helping them to kind of discover who they were. And now he's moved on to another location. And they've sent him a letter asking a bunch of questions. What about this? And what about that? Some people are doing this. or Is it okay to do that? Some people are doing that. Is, is that okay? Or, you know, where are we crossing lines? Where are we doing the things we shouldn't be doing? And, and where, where do we have freedom to, to do the things that some say we shouldn't do? And Paul writes 1 Corinthians. It's actually his second letter uh, to uh, the church. We don't have the first letter. It, it's been lost to time. We know it exists because he mentions it in this letter. But he writes this letter responding to their questions. And what we discover as we read this letter is this church was messed up. Okay, This church was a mess. This church was doing all sorts of things that you'd look at and you'd go, is that really representative of what it means to be a Christian? Is that really what it means to be believers? I mean, you had one of the, one of the things that Paul deals with, and we'll deal with this later on when we get there, is, is you have a, a man who has... Who, had, who is sleeping with his stepmother. Okay? Just, just crazy. 
It's crazy stuff. And you read that and you go, this is in the Bible? This is a church? This is a New Testament church that's supposed to represent who Christ is and those sorts of things? And, and, and Paul is, is writing to them. And he's interacting with them. And as we'll see here in a moment when we, when we read this, the Scripture here, he's thankful for them. He's thankful for their ministry to him. He's thankful for uh, their situation, their circumstance. He's thankful for the fact that they're reaching out to him for answers. And I think what we discover, especially in this letter, is that none of us are where we're supposed to be. None of us have, quote, arrived. You know, I, I certainly haven't. You know, I'm, I, I, I fail every day. But we're on the road to that. We're, we're on the journey to that. And that's part of what Paul, I think, is, is communicating here. There's a quote by uh, a man named Dallas Willard. He says, we are becoming who we will be forever. Christian faith is not a situation where you come to Christ, you bow your head, you, you pray to accept Him, you ask Him to be Lord of your life, you, you follow through with baptism, and then suddenly everything starts to work. It's not a situation where you arrive at perfection upon bowing your head and praying that prayer that we sometimes talk about. Christianity is relationship. And just like any relationship, it has to grow. Every relationship you enter into has those has basically the same pattern. You, you know, you start off, you're intrigued, you're connected, and man, initially, with just about every relationship, whether we're talking about friendship or whatever, or work, even your work environment, it's good. Those first few moments may last a couple months. Man, everything's good. Even, even their flaws are good, you know. Everything's wonderful. Everything's moving the way it should. And then, and then, just as with any other relationship, difficulties set in. And sometimes we make poor choices. Sometimes we, we, we wander down wrong paths. But hopefully, if it is in fact a relationship that you're leaning on and not just some ritual or some rite or some other thing, there is a, there's a progression in that relationship. You're growing closer to Christ. You're growing closer to who you're supposed to be. You're becoming who you will be. And Paul, in the book of 1 Corinthians, is seeking to tell the church there at Corinth, yeah, there's a lot of things that are going wrong in your midst. There, there's divisions. There's immorality. There's all sorts of debates and discussions about Who's more important than whom? Instead of humility being what characterized them, they were driven by pride. There, there's all of these questions, all of these debates, but Paul wants them to understand that, that it's a journey that they're on. And so he begins his letter basically identifying who he hopes they'll be one day. Identifying the ideal. Identifying the the way God sees them, who they're becoming. And as we, as we look at this, at this letter, as we look at these words, we see not just who the church of Corinth is to become and who they're supposed to be, but 
who we are as well, who we as believers, who we have, who have committed ourselves to Christ, ought to be moving toward what we are becoming. So let's look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first nine verses. And, and we're going to be basically answering the question, what is a Christian? What is the ideal? What is it we're seeking to arrive at? Paul writes, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is a, a traditional salutation from letters in their day. This is a traditional way that, that letters were written. When Normally you would identify yourself and then you would move into an uh, identification expression of who you're writing to. And this was true of all letters, Christian letters, biblical letters, secular letters. This was their standard. I remember when I was in high school, I had a class that was how to write letters. Okay, And, and we, we had these, these classes where they'd sit down, okay, this, this is for this type of thing, you'd write this type of letter. And for this type of thing, you'd write this type of letter and so forth. You, you'd move through um, looking at those things. That's kind of fallen by the wayside. I, I asked my my class this past semester, my Old Testament class, 43 students in it. How many of you have ever even written a letter? Not text, not emailed, actually sat down with a piece of paper, wrote a letter, put it in an envelope, mailed it. Out of the 43, zero of that particular class had written a letter. I had a class in high school over it, and they'd never even done it. Things change, right? Things change. But even in our culture today, there are certain ways that you interact. There are certain customs for, for how you interact with people, when you text people. Uh, I remember uh, a little while ago uh, texting with, with my two oldest. And, and I was of the habit of when I would text, I would put an ellipsis in, dot, dot, dot. Okay. In, in, my, in my text, you know, that, that's what I did. And they kept saying, Dad, that's, you don't do that when you text. When you do that, when you text, people are thinking you're thinking something else. So stop doing that. You're 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 confusing us. Okay. Even in modern texting, there's there's ways to do things that are standard. And and Paul's opening to his letter here is standard. He says who he is, and then he moves quite quickly to who they are. And in his identification of who they are, he tells us some important things about what it means to be a Christian. Who he sees them as. And the first thing he says is that a Christian is someone who is and who is becoming someone who belongs to God. He says that right there in verse 2, to the church of God at Corinth. That, that expression, that, that communication there is, is, is quite simple. 
when we become believers, when, when we make the profession of faith, when we say Jesus is Lord, we are no longer ours, we are His. We have made a commitment at that point to walk away from our own desires, our own commitments, our own ways of doing things, and we're saying to Him, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to listen to your voice. I'm going to obey your word. I'm going to, to, to learn and grow and come to understand who you are. Now, one of the ironies about this, and Paul's going to talk about this a little bit later in the book, one of the ironies about this is though we belong to him, it's in that moment of belonging to him and, and in that moment of, of listening to him and, and obeying him that we truly discover freedom. That we truly discover what we were made for. We just took a, a journey through the Bible. And we noted back there in Genesis 1, fundamental truth about humanity. We were built for relationship with God. There in the creation narrative, it says what? God created man and woman in his image. And whatever that means, it means we were created to be like him. We were created to walk with him. But because of our refusal to listen to him, because we have sinned, because we have turned away, that image has been corrupted. That image is not what it should be. But it's where we want to be. It's where we were created to be. And so we as humans, we spend all sorts of time and energy throughout our life trying to discover that. Trying to find places and ways to fill that void. Trying to, trying to understand what it is that's missing. And it's only when we find ourselves in Christ that we discover what it is that's missing. Because we discover what we were created for, what we were made for. And so we belong to God. There's a, a word of connectedness in that. Not just a word of obedience or, or servanthood, but also connectedness. You know, we watched, um, Will and I watched Forrest Gump this, this past weekend. There's a line in there, you know, where Forrest, well, he says it actually several times. Jenny, you're my girl. You're my girl. What is that? There's a connectedness there. You belong to me, I belong to you. Even though things may not always be what they're supposed to be, we belong together. So when Paul says we belong to God, we're the church of God, there's what? There's a connectedness to God. There's a hope in God. There's an encouragement there. The second thing he says about Christians is, is that they're different. They're different. Now he uses a he uses a term that's a little bit more uh, churchy, I guess. He says, You are those who are sanctified in Christ. That's one of those words that that you really don't encounter any place but in church, right? I mean, you, you don't you don't walk around saying, you know, man, look at that person. They're, they're really sanctified. It's just not a term you use outside of this culture, outside of this environment. So it may not be a word that, that you understand. Sanctified simply means to be different, to be set apart, to be distinct. Okay. Paul is saying that when we come to Christ, we become different. Not just different than who we were before. That's kind of obvious. Every relationship you have changes who you are. Every single relationship 
you enter into in this world, in this life, changes something about you. Changes something about your worldview. From the, the cashier you interact with at the grocery store to, to people who are very close to you, family and friends and so forth, they all have a say. They all have a contribution to who you are and who you become. And that's no less true. In fact, we would argue it's more true for believers. When we enter into a relationship with God, it changes who we are. And we become different than we were before. But part of that difference means what? We're also going to be different than the world around us. We're going to have different priorities. We're going to have different emphases. We're going to have different things that, that drive us. Different things that motivate us. Different things that, that we think about. Now, that's not, that's not a cause for arrogance. That's not a cause for, look how special I am. It's a cause for, however, a, a seriousness, a soberness about our calling. It, it's, a, it's, a, it, it's a call for a, a recognition that what we've done matters. To us, it matters to the world around us. Now, we're not just different for different sake. The third thing Paul tells us is that we're different because that difference is defined by our relationship with God. He says immediately following that sentence, called as saints, who are um, uh, called as saints. Called to be holy is what another translation might say there. And that phrase there means what? The difference that we have is because of our relationship, our connection with God. And again, just let me encourage you as, as Christians, as believers, those of you who, who walk that path, to recognize that this is not a call to be a jerk, to be holier than now. As I've reflected before, I hear sometimes Christians saying, oh, I'm so persecuted, people don't like me because I'm a follower of Jesus. No, really, they don't like you because you're a jerk. To become like God is to become somebody who loves others, even when they disagree with you. Who serves others, even when they're a jerk. Who gives their life on behalf of others so that they might come to understand who God is. So that they might come to understand what God can do. So they might understand that, that a relationship with God is, is not a burden. It's not, a, it's not some reality in which we walk around angry at the world. It's a gift. It's a freedom. It's a hope. Too often people want nothing to do with God because we've shown them a God that's not worth having anything to do with. 
And so we're, we're different, but we're different in the best of ways. We're different in a way that, that is attractive. We're different in a way that, that is hopeful. We're different in a way that expresses joy. Chuck Swindoll used to say that he'd interacted with, with far too many Christians that, that looked like and acted like they'd been baptized in lemon juice. You know, we just we just had a, a baptism up here. Can you imagine being baptized in lemon juice? You know? Too many Christians, that's the way they walk around. Where's the joy? Where is the peace that Christ said we would have? Christ said what? I came that you might have life and what? Have it abundantly to the fullest. I didn't come to be a, a cosmic killjoy who's walking around just killing your fun. Oh, there's somebody having fun. I'm going to stop that. That's not Christ. That's not the God we serve. God created us for fullness of life, for enjoyment of life. And Christians, most of all, ought to be expressing that who we are. Because we've received the tools, we've received the, the gifts that make that possible. And Paul's Last three points really make that make that clear in terms of what those tools are. The next thing he says about us is we're we're someone who is connected to something bigger. He says, "What called us saints with all those in every place, everywhere, who call upon the name of Jesus." As we meet here this morning. We are a collection. We are the church. We are the body in this room, in this place. But we bear a connection to everyone else who calls upon the name of the Lord. Whether they label themselves Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever else. If they are calling upon Jesus, if they're following Jesus, we're connected to them. We're bound together with them. If they have been transformed and we have been transformed, we are family. But not just them around right now. Believers everywhere, in every place, in every time we're connected with. Christians for the, the last 2,000 years have taken part in the, the right, the act of baptism. And when we see that and when we encounter that, it's not just us in this room. It's all those believers. All those people through all those centuries who gathered for the same reason, who saw the same thing, who uttered the same words. There's strength in that. There's encouragement in that. There's identity in that. One of my one of my favorite things is is, is genealogy. I love looking at 
my family history and kind of where we come from and all that other stuff. It's just fun. And a, a few years ago, I had a had a chance to actually go to, to England and visit some of the towns that my ancestors came from. And as I walked down those streets, I had this overwhelming sense of identity. This is where my people come. This, my ancestors looked at these buildings. I know some of the buildings were around then, and, and they looked at these buildings. They walked into these buildings. I got to visit the, the church that uh, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother was baptized in. And the baptistry there had the date on it that predated her baptism. So it's the baptistry she was baptized in. I got to see that. And it kind of defined me in some ways. Now, I'm my own person. I'm, I have my own experience and so forth, so it doesn't totally define me, but it, it helps me kind of know who I am and what journey my family's been on. And as we look at the church, as we look at a history that's sometimes not been what it should have been, we get a sense of our identity. We get a sense of of who we are. It's not just our relationship to God that defines us. It's our relationship to each other too. It's the fellowship of faith that we enjoy that is a tool that God uses to instruct us. We learn from each other. I don't know how many lessons just in this past year as we've, we've done port where, where I'm supposedly teaching the lesson where the college student has taught me something true and real and important about our faith and who we are. Or how many times I've interacted with y'all and y'all have spoken a word of encouragement or a word of truth or a word of reflection upon the word that, that helped me to understand even more deeply what God has called us to be. We are a part of a family. We're part of a connection here that helps us to grow. To become who we will be. But then Paul spends several verses here, actually verses 4 through 9, talking about one of our primary tools, if it's even right to call him that, the Holy Spirit. He talks about how the Holy Spirit has has brought knowledge and how the Holy Spirit has brought gifts, spiritual gifts, things that we're empowered to do that are beyond our own capabilities, that are beyond our own training, our own education, our own understanding. And we'll dig into this more when we get to, to chapters 12 and so forth, but, but I just want to highlight here just, just real quickly that Everyone in this room, if you are a believer, if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, you have at least one spiritual gift. One thing that God has empowered you to be able to do like no one else can do. Some of you, it's, it's mercy. Some of you, it's prayer. Some of you, it's administration or organization. Some of you, it's service. Some of you, it's teaching. Some of you, it's helps. There's, all, there's so many that I couldn't list them all. Given the rest of the day, I couldn't list them all. 
But each of you has something that God has instilled in you, something God has granted you that he desires, that he has designed to, to work as part of our ministry here, to connect with the world, to, to help us all discover who we were made to be. And it's the spirit that guides, it's the spirit that instructs. So God has given us these instruments, God has given us these directions, God is making us who we're supposed to be. But it is a process. It's a process that, as I mentioned, involves failures, involves hiccups and sin. It's a process that involves us not, quote, living up to who we think we're supposed to be. But Paul tells us here in the, in the last verse, verse 9, how that's possible. And it's possible because of one simple truth. God is faithful. That no matter how much we fail, no matter how much we struggle, no matter how much we don't live up to the standards He's put before us, He is faithful. He stands beside us. He does not let us go. If I had to characterize the, the narrative of the Bible in, in one sentence, it would simply be this, the resistance of the created being met by the resolve of the Creator. Even though we push back, even though we reject, even though we have turned away, He's resolved. I'm hanging on. I'm changing you. I'm transforming you. I'm so committed to this, I'm going to send my son to die in your place. I'm going to do for you what you couldn't possibly do for yourself. That's the story of Scripture. That's the gospel. That's God coming to us and saying, even while you were in rebellion, even while you were rejecting me, I still love you and I'm still pursuing you. Paul says in Romans, a different letter to the church in Rome, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't expect us to get it all together and get it right and come to Him, because if that were the case, no one would ever be able to come to Him. He says, as you are, in your place, in your current status, your status of rebellion, your status of, of rejecting, your status of, of anger, perhaps, come to me. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you peace. I'll give you hope. I'll give you joy. And while at this moment, we just get parts of that. We have the hope. We have the encouragement that one day we'll experience it in fullness. As we read last week from Revelation 21, there's a day coming when every tear will be dried, 
when every sickness will be healed, when every hurt will be mended. But that's a future that comes only for those who have surrendered to God, only to those who have bound themselves in Him, only to those who have discovered what we were made for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come today, now to this time of invitation, God, I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't know of their future, who doesn't know of their standing with you, or who knows and realizes that they're not in relationship with you the way they should be, God, I pray that you would draw them in this moment. That you would reveal to them your love and your grace in ways they've never understood before. God, I pray that you would move in this place and that there would be response to your offer of hope and salvation. God, I pray for myself and my fellow believers here that you would help us to recognize the journey we're on. That though we have not yet arrived, we are becoming who we are. We are becoming who you've made us. Help us, Lord, to, to walk in that with humility, recognizing our desperate need for your help and your direction. God, if there's other decisions, commitments that need to be Whatever those may be, God, we pray for your movement in those circumstances and responsiveness on our part. We love you, Lord. We thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.